0: Welcome to the Brew News Podcast, all the news that's fit to brew. I'm Andrew Jennings.
1: And I'm Laura Jennings. And this week, we're starting something special with a history of beer. We decided a while ago that we needed to go back into time and share with you all what we found.
0: These episodes are going to be a bit different, and we're going to try and keep them fairly short. Instead of a standard tasting, uh, Laura and I are going to try and drink some beers that are appropriate for the time period we're going to be discussing but not go into too much depth about the beer itself since it's really about the journey, not necessarily the beer. This series will also be a touch odd as I'm going to be sharing research that I did with Laura. She hasn't really seen the notes, so this is going to be more of a cold reading for her. Just for point of reference, most of my notes and research came from William Boswick's A Brewer's Tale and some additional online sources. If you do want a good history of beer, though, I highly recommend A Brewer's Tale.
1: We hope you enjoyed this History of Beer Part 3 from the Brew News Pod.
0: Quick recap on the history of where we are. We started in Sumeria and Babylon. We've gone to Egypt. We went from there across the Mediterranean into Northern Europe, where we got high with the Norsemen <laughs> and died with the Norsemen. But uh, then we went into Germany and uh, Trappistales, monasteries, really controlling that beer growth. And then we, oh God, went to France. We went to Belgium. We went to Britain. And that's what we're going to pick back up, is Britain. We've figured out our beer, we've got our hops now, we've got our malts now, we got our yeasties that we're still not really sure are there yet, but we really have more control. It's more of an industrial process. And so we have the first true royal beer. I'm calling this the light in a dark world. At this point in time, most beers are going to be fairly dark. The most predominant beer in Germany at the time is the Dunkel, the Dunkel Lagers, uh, so dark beers. The uh, British are making ports and st- uh, porters and stouts left and right. Then they create, in the late 1700s, pale malt. Pale malt gave them everything they needed to create the IPA, the Aha. India Pale Ale. The, uh, this is, I know, your favorite beer. Uh, Indeed. Well, style, I should say. Uh, and this is from Brevard Brewing. So, from our New Year's Spectacular uh, Lacquer, <laughs> the, the one beer from Brevard we didn't drink on the show. You had this before.
1: Oh, I had this at lunch. You had this at lunch, yes.
0: yeah. I mean, not today. No. But, uh, in Brevard. In Brevard. So the British IPAs would have been nothing like what we're drinking today, because this is mm. very much an American IPA. The British use mostly Kent Golding hops, which are a lot lighter, whereas this is using Columbus, maybe? It says West Coast hops. What do you get on that nose, La? IPA. <laughs> it's very. I'm
1: not Travis.
0: I know. It's very piney, very resiny, is what I get.
1: I guess resiny, yeah
0: you're just saying i'm just repeating out. the
1: words you're saying i don't know what that smells like should i, I it smells like an ipa
0: it does so it's some ipas are gonna be it's not a juice haze it's a tr- more traditional mm-hmm. american ipa i just don't like british IPAs, so i didn't get one for I know,
1: have sex. i ever had one
0: they're malty there's a couple of breweries around that do a decent british ipa does Fortnite have one I'm pretty sure their standard is British, but they also do some American IPAs. Okay. Yeah, the the most recent one I got from them was an American IPA, even though it had John Lennon on the cover in front of it, so.
1: What's different between the
0: the hops? IPAs? The hops they use generally, the malt bill may be a little different, but it's usually typically going to be the hop, but the hop bill is completely different. North American hops are a lot punchier. They're not delicate at mm-hmm. all. They're very aggressive. Yeah, sort of like Canadians on ice. love those aggressive hops. Yeah, so these are Northwest hops, so they're going to be mostly Cascade, Columbus, maybe Chinook, maybe some Tomahawk. Possibly some Azaka, but probably not. So the British malting technique developed, the light pale malting technique led us to the IPA but it also gave us pale ales, Marzins, and Pilsners. Uh, While pales came into the fashion amongst the middle classes of Britain, IPAs were the drinks of royalty.
1: See? I love them.
0: They're royal. (laughs) It's the royal beer. And they are royal because if you were not going to India, you had to pay for this. Because the IPA is not, not from India, but it's to go to India. That's what the I... IPA.
1: Who were they going to in India?
0: East India Trading Company.
1: Like the colony?
0: Yes, the colony. So they would be shipping beer from England to India. The only way to get it that far is to make it boozy, because alcohol is a preservative, and to make it hoppy, because hops are a preservative. Therefore, your IPA or your India Pale Ale. So the booze and hops needed for that. The German and Austrian brewers actually came to Britain to, um, I'm going to say, borrow This uh, malting technique, because that's how they created the margins and pilsners, actually, is by stealing, borrowing the technique that they learned in Britain. At the time, like I said, all the Germans were brewing was dark beer. But now they have the ability to make lighter beer as well in both Bavaria and Bohemia. After this point, though, European brewing just sort of stopped. I mean, they didn't stop making beer. They love making beer. But they stopped creating new techniques and new styles. I'm sure that we have one European listener that's going to disagree with me. But for (laughs) the most part, the next advancements in brewing happened across the pond. Bavaria has, has their laws concerning beer. So if you don't make it a certain way, you can't make it. It's not beer. Therefore, there's no growth in that region in styles. The British have got their thing. They got it done. We're conquering everybody. We're too busy with colonialism to focus on our beer brewing. uh, And the rest of Europe... If they're not doing colonialism, if they're not fighting a revolution, if they're not, I don't know, beheading a king, you know, what are they going to do? Make some wine, maybe? Beer brewing sort of... It's really good at this point, about the late 1700s, early 1800s, but there's no more advancement in Europe for the next 100 years or so. Let's continue our history by jumping over to America, where this lovely accent is from. So, new world, new beer. Beer, beer already existed in the Americas by the time the Europeans got here. Like we've mentioned before, it cropped up in uh, tribes. It was a very tribal thing. Uh, the Dogfish Head actually has an ancient ale from South America, uh, that i don't think we would want i want to drink it it's the one where they uh they have their whole crew together oh yeah you're shaking your head nope no. nope 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 yeah. i know exactly which one you are talking
1: about they spit into it yep, yep, yeah, yep, no, yep, good. Good.
0: yeah no i'm good yeah i know but that was their malting technique <laughs> huh? come on well, thank you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. This harkens back to the Scandinavian tradition. It is not a beer for every person to drink. Beer is not an everyman's drink. It's a party drink. You drink it for funerals. You drink it for important events. In our pumpkin beer episode, we covered some of the U.S.'s beer, beer brewing history and how ultimately we're a nation founded because British settlers ran out of beer. What happened when they came over is the grain and hops would not grow in the U.S. The European grains and the European hops wouldn't grow here due to soil and the climate. Uh, that meant they had to get creative. So going back to Scandinavia, we're just tossing stuff in this pot and seeing what comes out. Woo woo! This led to pumpkin beers, molasses beers, tree beers, uh, really anything that you could toss in there. <laughs> However, they did cut out the nightshade. That was, that was helpful. That was helpful. Home brewing became very popular, and local breweries were a big thing in the early history of the U.S. You had taverns, you had uh, every every home had a pot that was brewing beer. During the mid 1600s, it was estimated up to 60 percent of Massachusetts homes had a brewing operation hmm. in their built in their house. And home brewing was really popular amongst our founding fathers, especially. Our boy, G-Dub.
1: I say Alexander Hamilton?
0: No. <laughs> G-Dub can be your boy. G-Dub. Hamilton is mine. Here comes the general. <laughs> but no, he was very big into homebrewing, into brewing his own beer. And he, you can find his recipes, but ultimately it's its like trying to read another language. Mm. It's like, nah, I tossed some stuff in there. I let it sit. I toss some more things in when the cows come back i take it off it's like what I, I don't have cows i don't know how to brew your beer but if you figure it out please let us know that would be an excellent beer during you know america's early history there's a ton of immigration from europe so because of that we're being introduced to no longer british style beers but we're getting german immigrants that are bringing over their german lagers their german dunkels their german pilsners their marzins they're bringing everything over to the u.s and so in the late 1800s, early 1900s, U.S. saw the rise of beer gardens and massive breweries in the upper Midwest region because of their heavy Germanic influence. Those breweries, you might know them today. Miller, Schlitz. Familiar. Yeah, you know Schlitz? No. Oh, you should. Yeah, don't. Bush, <laughs> so Anheuser-Busch. Uh, Pabst. Everybody knows Peps. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, Mr. Best had his own brewery. Yes. Called Mr. Best? It, well, no. He was called Milwaukee's Best. Oh. Yeah. I always thought oh, Milwaukee's dear. Best was like they won a contest. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. That, that's a person. Well, that makes it better. Not good beer, but it made it better. Like a lot of these, uh, the German heritage... Beer was part of the cultural zeitgeist. It was not something you do to get drunk and a party. It's something, it's something you use to party, but it's not. you don't base your whole party around it. It's not a frat bro situation where, yeah, bro, we're getting wasted. It's let's go to the beer garden and let's all have a couple of pints. We'll bring the kids. They'll go play over here. So sort of more like our modern brew pubs that you and I go to, mm-hmm. less like uh, frat parties. So the goal of the beer gardens was, of course, to have a wonderful family time and not get drunk, Uh, not necessarily to get drunk. Um, these beer gardens It might happen. Uh, it probably did. <laughs> Miller in particular had a multi acre park at their beer garden. So kids could go frolic and play. It really was. You finish church and you come to Miller's beer garden, bring your picnic, and you're just going to have a good time with all the families. Family beer is a family affair. It really is. It truly is. Especially for these folks. Um, Unfortunately, about this time is when liquor in the U.S. also reared its ugly head and prohibition. So liquor turned the tide on this family-friendly drinking. Bars were no longer these fun, family-oriented events, but um, because liquor itself, there's actually no caloric benefit to liquor. It's not developed to give you the calories you need to do your job. It's developed to get you drunk. I'm not knocking liquor. I personally enjoy it. This led to more carousing, less ritualized drinking. You are drinking so you can be schlossed, not drinking so you can have fun. In 1915, there were 1,300 breweries in the U.S. How many breweries do you think were open three months after Prohibition ended in 1934? When it ended,
1: how many were open? Yes. Publicly acknowledged? Yes. 300.
0: 31. Dang. There was a 97% reduction in breweries over the course of Prohibition. Most of these are gonna be your larger breweries like your Yingling, your Miller, your Paps, your Bush, your Schlitz, and your best. Most of them made something else during Prohibition, but kept their brewing up on the side. That was always a that's a fun story. I think we told that in the Yingling episode was within I think a week of Prohibition being signed out of law when FDR signed it, Yingling sent a case of beer to the White House. They called it their thank you ale or something mm. like that. But most of these breweries went to something else. I think ice cream and milk were the big ones to switch over because a lot of the equipment for dairy is used in brewing and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You don't need a mash tun per se, but you can do a lot of the same stuff with the same equipment. Ultimately, what this did is it killed small breweries and consolidated some of the larger ones. In 1934, there are 31 breweries in the U.S., now by 1935, that number's popped back up to 700. So you're, you're doing pretty good. But the problem is those 31 breweries, or really it was about half a dozen, had over 60% of the beer market in the US. And over the next 40 years, those 700 breweries fall and fall and fall. So we hit the nadir of craft brewing in the US, which is 1978. Which brings us to our last beer, the beer that ultimately ended the uh well we could say began the craft beer revolution in the u.s in 1978 there were 89 breweries open most of these are going to be your large guys the ones we still enjoy today some of those have been consolidated too at this point point. 1978 is the beginning of craft brewing in america and it started with this little feller the sierra nevada pale ale it's a big hop forward pale ale it's not brewed in the English tradition. It is definitely a West Coast-style pale ale. You've got a lot of Cascade hops in this, a lot of pine, a lot of resin. Uh, it's not quite as strong as that Brevard IPA, but this is, this is your standard American pale ale. Thoughts, La?
1: I like it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's... Anything crazy, but like you said, standard. And
0: This is the beer that really started craft brewing again, mm-hmm. or restarted it. Sierra Nevada is considered one of the original craft beers in the U.S. Since 1978, when, remember, there were 89 U.S. breweries. In 2017, so what's that? Less than 40 years later, there were 6,372 breweries open. Wow. Right. Uh, since 1978, we have added well over 6,000 breweries because some of them, of course, close. So you've had expansion, retraction, expansion, retraction with the breweries. But since 2000, we went from about 2,000 breweries to 4,000 to 6,000. And I think 2018 stats are expecting it to crack 7,000 breweries in Mm. the U.S. Because of this, the sheer number of breweries you're going to get a lot of different things happening. You have to differentiate yourself in the market. You have to explore new things. Everyone can't make Sierra Nevada's pale ale and stay open, stay available. Um, The sheer variety has led to what the U.S. is called extreme brewing. I love it. Extreme brewing? Extreme (laughs) brewing. (laughs) What? It's truly, at least it was founded in America. I'm sure it's expanding out. Um, Evil when are they the one? I don't know. Travis would, would get mad at me for getting that right wrong. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a couple of breweries that do that abroad. But... U.S., almost every brewery will have an extreme beer. So these are going to be high alcohol. They're going to be high hops, high something that just makes them wild. Dogfish Head is like the king of extreme with their different styles and variety and sheer wackiness and wildness with their beers. It also leads to blended style beers, things that are mostly beer. Uh, I think Dogfish Head and Multimedia or mixed media is a good example, Or it's 51% of the sugar comes from malt, so it can call itself a beer. The other 49% comes from grapes. so It's like a beer wine? Yeah, huh. and it tastes like a beer wine. It's weird. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> the sheer variety of competitors leads all this craziness that you have to have to create these different styles and to blend these different things. Many American brewers originally were trying to stake True to the roots of German brewing. They would follow some of the laws, maybe some of the British brewing. So they'd use different kinds of malts and ale yeast. Um, But ultimately, at this point, the variety is spice of life. We have a town of 250,000 and we have six active breweries. And that number's supposed to go up. I think we're supposed to get two more in the next year or two. Mm. Hopefully. Woo! Since the mid-1990s, US breweries have been on a tear, creating new beers, blending styles, trying new ingredients, and in some cases they even hop in that Wayback Machine to try ancient ales. So uh, Dogfish Head's a good example of that, getting beers that are several thousand years old based on scrapings from uh, drinking vessels. That one that you got mad at me for buying was from a 3,600-year-old drinking horn. Which one? The one I bought like two days ago, yesterday. For the pod? Yeah, I I said it was for the pod. We're not drinking it today. He
1: just says things are for the pod, but that's how he's <laughs> getting away. We got back from Asheville. And he said, Laura, do not let me buy any more beer unless it's for the pod. <laughs> Goes to Total Wine, comes back with beer. It's for the pod, I promise. All is of it, it was Andrew? for the pod.
0: Every single one of it is. Was it? for the pod.
1: Ultimately, he might pretend to use it for the pot.
0: So the sheer variety of climate, grains, hops. And since 1978, we've had just so much scientific advancement worldwide. Beer is just changing and modifying. It's becoming something else. Now, what we're seeing in 2019 is we're expecting the number of... Um, The beer sales to actually decline, especially in the U.S. So the U.S. is very cyclical in their alcohol consumption. They drink beer for a while, then they go to liquor, then wine, then back to beer. And ultimately, this is going to happen again, where beer is declining right now. I think we're starting to see the rise of liquor. I think that's the one that's going up. But ultimately, it doesn't matter because the breweries are here to stay because they are becoming more like those family-friendly beer gardens, at least in our area. You can go out and have fun, take the kids, enjoy yourselves. So while America doesn't have the most traditional beer in the world, you can give that to the Germans or the monasteries. Let's give it to the monasteries. The U.S. does have the largest variety of beer currently. So that's the history of beer. I'm done. (laughs) We made it. (laughs) We made it. We did 10,000 years of history. So many
1: years.
0: Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Well, La, any thoughts about anything?
1: Fascinating history. A lot of history. That is all. That's it. I got, I've basically been talked at for a long time. <laughs> I'm, so I'm getting sorry. a one-person sorry. lecture over here.
0: I'm so sorry. <laughs> I took your phone away for the first part.
1: And then I got it back.
0: <laughs> that was fun. Um, I know we're going to do a lot of different things this year. So I look forward to seeing you all, I guess, talking to y'all soon. Indeed. Yay, 2019. That concludes this week's History of Beer.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's Brew News.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to subscribe and give us a rating in whichever app you found us on. We value your feedback and it also helps the show reach more listeners.
1: If you have any thoughts or suggestions for future breweries or are with a brewery and would like to join us, feel free to tweet at or follow us on Twitter at brew underscore news.
0: We are on Instagram at brewnewspod, and you can visit our website, www.brewnewspod.com, where we will post links and photos and tasting notes.
1: You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week to discover a new brewery. Cheers! Have you ever wondered how you could join the Brew News crew? Well, swing over to patreon.com slash brewnewspod, and you can join us. We have three different tiers for all of our patrons. At the lager level, you earn early access to all of our podcast episodes. At the IPA level, you get early access to our podcast episodes, but you get special weekly beer tastings that are done by various members of the crew. And you get special video presentations, including our Beer Miss Special, at the stout level, you get everything you get at the IPA level, but you also get to appear on one episode of the Brew News Pod, and when we have some swag, we'll send some your way. So feel free to swing over to patreon.com brewnewspod. That again is patreon.com slash brewnewspod and join the crew.